to the Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill on Radio Live. The Weekend Variety Wireless continues this hour. John Dibvig is up next. He's getting ready. He's preparing. He's getting all fired up. He can scream. So just make sure you've got your finger on the dial. If he's a little too loud, you can turn him down. But don't turn him off. He's very entertaining. After 10.30, Dr. Michael Jack from the University of Otago joins us to discuss the Green Grid project. You will learn something about the way you generate power in your house. That before 11 o'clock, after 10.30. After 11, we will reminisce one of the shipwreck tales. Paul Cassily is the narrator for the shipwreck tale, and the ship is Dundonald. Looking forward to that after 11 as we go back through the archives of the shipwrecks. Next, though, John Dibvig, he's along with his letter from America. Life, the universe, and everything in between. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill on Radio Live. A letter from America. Good oh, evening. Oh, letter from America. Yeah, baby. <laughs> letter. More like an exclamation point. <laughs> well, it could be. John Dibvig, good evening. How you doing, Ryan? You good? Outstanding. Yeah. Topic number one, last sentence. Just just so you know, this is comes from Bob Woodward's book, Fear, Trump and the White House, the mm. latest book to come out. And Bob Woodward is like two Pulitzer Prize winning jobs. He, he brought Nixon down with, with the, all the president's men. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's been there a long time. And the last sentence in his book, I'll just let you, so if you don't want to read the book, all you have to do is know the last sentence, and that sums up the whole book. It sums up Trump in one sentence. Mm. And this comes from his personal lawyer, Trump's personal lawyer, John Dowd. The last sentence is, you're an effing liar. That's what he wrote, the last sentence. That's the last, the last one. From John Dowd, his personal lawyer, is telling Trump, you're an effing liar. Wow. And the next day he quit. Wow. Yeah, he dropped out. He couldn't, he couldn't take it anymore. And what happened was Dowd did a, you know, they do a rehearsal because they, at that stage they thought that Trump was going to go in and talk to Mueller, you know, do, a, do an, uh, uh, an, you know, examination type of thing, you know, um, or interview. And so Dowd, what lawyers do is they do a practice run. So Dowd pretended that he was Mueller and was asking all the questions that Mueller was going to ask him. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he just said, you can't do it. You can't get through a sentence without lying. You, cannot, you are a lousy witness. You cannot do this interview. You'll go down. It's either don't do the interview or wear an orange jumpsuit. Well, there's only one way to go. The orange jumpsuit. <laughs> orange jumpsuit. Uh, you know, he'll never get that. Trump, will, you know, well, I shouldn't say never. Never deal in absolutes. But, you know, I would be very surprised if he ended up, you know, he'll resign. They'll, you know, like when Richard Nixon went down. I mean, he definitely was criminal activity because he covered it up. He had slush fund. He paid off the burglars. I mean, the whole nine yards. But um, uh, Gerald Ford gave him a pardon. Mm. You know, that's usually. Too much shame. Too, too much, much shame. But, you know, the interesting thing about Nixon, and I know people will 
put their hands over their ears, but he, he actually turned out to be an elder statesman later towards the end of his life. What is it about former uh, prime ministers or presidents suddenly after they've actually <laughs> been in the position of power becoming a hell of a lot more likable? I'll cite Jim Bolger, who in the 90s yep. I thought was shocking. Yep. Now he's got all these great ideas. He's, yeah. he's well, working I'm, for the for, for the Labour New Zealand First Greens government. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know, think the pressure's off. He seems more reasonable. Yeah, I think the pressure's off. They've had all the George experience. Bush was the same. I thought he was George a moron Bush, uh, when he was in power. Jimmy Carter was a very ineffective president, and but he's been much more effective outside the office. And mm. I just think the pressure's off, and you don't have so many people telling you bullshit. Mm. <laughs> you know, pulling at you, you know, 19 different ways about what to do. I, know I you... mean, look at Jacinda Ahern. 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 Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Jacinda. Yeah. You know, I think she's a lovely woman. I just like her every time I see her. Mm. But, you know, she's had a few stumbles here now, I mean, because the politics are starting to dig in. I know you probably talked about this in weeks gone by, but what about that lineup at John McCain's funeral of all the ex-presidents? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that was... was that was, and that's uh, we can just add to that because after that, that was a monumentous occasion in, in America, an American hero that's been around for a long time and done a lot of things, and it was the full state honors, which usually that's reserved for presidents, mm-hmm. um, and that is when Trump's. Um, popularity started to go down he was at 43 44 percent now he's down to 36 percent so he's really he dipped a lot i've been to the hanoi hilton have you yeah, yeah. Been. Oh, wow. I've done, wow. Done the no, little I, I remember when when he was uh, i know we're digressing here but i remember when he right. was up against obama and because of his war injuries he couldn't raise yep. his two arms high in the air yep. and so obama would come out and he'd raise his hands in the air and he'd wave to everyone and mccain could just sort of Be bring like, the, bring, bring them up halfway like a and just penguin. To, yeah and just <laughs> yeah. And just wave with his hands directly out yeah. in front of him yeah um, I mean, some horrific injuries there mm, i mean yeah. you can't do that yeah he did well to, to live as long as he did yeah yeah 80 you know he got to 80 81 i think he was yeah uh, St- Stupidsville. Stupidsville. Now, this 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 sums up Trump also in in a key phrase here. Is this from? Is this like a town on the Simpsons? Or no, what? This, this is Trump's world. Stupidsville. Ah. This this is where Trump lives. I mean, this is you know, and you'll see a pattern here. I'll talk about him, and then we'll talk about you know his son down mm. the track mm-hmm. here. And, there, and there's a pattern here. Trump gives himself. You know, we have this big Hurricane Florence coming in. That was, uh, you know, devastating the North Carolina coast, the Atlantic yeah. coast. And, and, and Trump gives him, gave himself an A-plus on his handling of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Mm. He said it was an unsung success. He's the only one that has said that because over 3,000 people died. It was not an unsung success. It was an unsung disaster. But that is the world that he lives in. He is... <laughs> You know, you, you would anybody else would be embarrassed, but he he comes out in public. He says, "No, no, it was a great success." It was, and the the governor and the mayor of San Juan and the governor of Puerto Rico say, "No, it wasn't. It was it was horrible. It's still horrible." But didn't he ever crack and say there wasn't three thousand that had, had died? That's the other thing. You know, he came out and tweeted that you know three thousand people didn't die. It was a number made up by the Democrats, <laughs> and that's why we get the name Stupidsville because. I mean, you know, that's so dishonorable to the people and the families of the deceased. Mm. I mean, over 3,000 people died, and he's going around. Everything is political, and everything is him. Mm. It's nobody Mm. else. So, you know, it's just, it's, ah, you can't be a bigger jackass than that. Mm. I mean, if people die, they die. And the thing is, it's not necessarily your fault. It's a hurricane. Things happen. But he did such a poor job of being prepared for it, 
or offering help. I mean, he was there standing there throwing out paper towels, which is comical in itself. But, you know, he, he, he just... He was. That's right. He flew over, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. And he was dishing out some paper, paper towels. towels. Yeah. yeah. Good on you, Donald. Yeah. Uh, the There was another uh, moment on Twitter this week where he retweeted some advice on what to do during a, <laughs> a hurricane. A hurricane. Yeah. I thought, oh, that's... that's very noble of you, Mr. Trump. Uh, yeah. That's probably one of the most responsible things he's ever done. Well, it could be. As, I mean, he's got to do something. So, Stupidsville, that's his world? That's his world. I mean, well, come on. You, you can't. I mean, nobody, nobody has said that. No, I mean, the facts speak for themselves. It was a disaster, you know, and he comes out and says it's an unsung success. Nobody else has said that. The people of Puerto Rico don't say that. The governor of Puerto Rico doesn't say that. The mayor of San Juan doesn't say that. It's still a big pile of shit in Puerto Rico, and he's mm. glowing about the job that they did. He's the only one. Mm. You know, and how do you how do you dialogue with somebody that, that is that stupid mm. that will not accept reality? Number three, empty boasting. Empty boasting. This comes from Don Jr. Now, this is like a segue of Stupidsville. Because this comes from Don Jr. Don Jr., who is a repeated liar, uh, came out and said that he wasn't afraid of uh, going to jail over the Russia investigation because he knows what he's done. Hmm. And you go, well, you know, your dad would give you a pardon, you know, the president. He gives out pardons <laughs> like it's popcorn. But the, thing, the, the main point here is Don Jr. had a meeting with the Russians in June of 2016. Hmm. To get dirt on Hillary. He lied about that five different times. Is that right? Yeah, five different times he lied. He made up stories and he got caught in every one of his lies. And he lied on national television. Now, you and I would be embarrassed about that. We would be mm. a little bit humble about that, that we got caught in so many lies. But this guy has had a golden spoon stuck up his ass his entire life. Mm. And he thinks nothing of that. He just thinks, you know, you're, I'm, not, I'm better than you. Mm. You, you're not anywhere near my level, so I can just lie and bullshit and do anything I want, and I'm not even going to think about it. And, and that's he comes from Trump, and that's the way Trump is. No matter what mm. happens, you know. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Graham tried to get me to agree to have you know that you could have a dialogue with Trump. You know, some guy from AUT was going on about some study about how the language and this and that, and you got to listen. How do you have dialogue with somebody that can't accept reality? Hmm. You know, there's no dialogue there because it's all bullshit because it's, it's constant lies. If you go back to John Dowd, you're an effing liar. You can't hmm. get through a sentence without telling a lie. Hmm. What, does this, what does this boy actually do? It seems he, the whole family is just hanging on to Donald's. Yeah, well, they do. I mean, the, the Trump family um, runs the Trump business. Hmm. And that's what Trump has done from the business to the presidency of the United States. He doesn't have experts and people. He doesn't have scientists in different fields. He has his family. He has Jared. He has uh, Ivanka. What does Ivanka do? What does she do all day? She's a, she has an office in the West Wing. What does she actually do? Does anybody ever cut, you know, written down what the hell this woman does? But Trump's a self-made man. He used to pick up all the screws and nails no, from his father. No, he's not father's. a self-made man. He had a small loan. He, he got small... $200 million from a... his dad. He had a small loan of a million dollars. <laughs> $200 million. 200 That's what he started out with. 
From okay. his father. He's not a self. He's not <laughs> self-made bullshit. That's what he says. Though. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> My point exactly. Empty <laughs> boasting. <laughs> Empty boasting. Empty All boasting. The time. Fake news is... Now, this is interesting. This is interesting, this. Fake news, because it, it, it is a topic. And Trump, you know... Well, it's his, that's his phrase. He's, yeah. Surely he's the one that has popularized the he's saying popularized fake it, news. Fake news was around before yeah. Trump, but he's popularized it because he, he says it all the time. And if you want to look at fake news, Trump has now gone over 5,000 lies in the short tenure he's been president. He's fake news. Mm. I mean, totally fake news. In fact, yesterday he tweeted that, uh, you know, um, that the Bob Mueller in the fake witch hunt, uh, the Russian investigation, and 17 angry Democrats are, you know, <laughs> are it's a collusion type of thing. You know, there's not 17 angry Democrats on the Bob Mueller thing. And for one thing, Bob Mueller is a Republican. Mm. But the fake news in this instance, I mean, it happens in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of fake news on regular stations like CNN and NBC and ABC Fox. and Fox. You know, Fox for sure, but but all these other other news stations because they bring on Trump aides and Trump experts. You know, and all those aides that work for Trump have signed NDAs, non-disclosure mm -hmm. agreements. So they can't say anything negative about him. It's in their contract. Mm. So what is the point of having somebody on your news station and you interviewing about something about Trump? They're only going to say bullshit. They're only going to say positive things because it's in their contract. They can't say what is really the truth. Mm. Mm. So I, I, I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, most people don't because they don't broadcast that. Mm. They don't tell you that, okay, I'm, I'm speaking to Jerry Jones here. Now, Jerry is one of Trump's top aides on foreign policy, but hey, just as a side factor here, Jerry signed an NDA, so he's really not going to tell us what's going on. Mm. He's just going to, you know, it's just going to be PR bullshit. Yeah, and, and, and that's the problem we have, and I think it's, it's spreading from America, the difference between what is an interview where somebody's giving an informed opinion or an independent opinion right. as opposed to just absolute PR? Yep. And you're seeing that infiltrate. I mean, look at Matthew Hooten in, uh, in the New Zealand Herald. He's a, he's a National Party, yep. uh, obviously, uh, a lobbyist. Yep. And he always has been a strategist on that side of the political spectrum. Yep. Good luck to him. Yep. But uh, now we're starting to see this sort of opinion Passed off as more yeah. mainstream and, as, and news. You're, and, as news, and it's and not. It's not. It's of, not. Of course, it's not. You know, and the problem in the states is that now every Tom, Dick, and Harry has a, either a radio station in their garage or a cable network or this or that. Or there are so many outlets that anybody can get on TV or on the radio and talk bullshit. I mean, there's there's just an unquenchable thirst. For people to talk about, but stuff. isn't this the problem in America? Is how do the population wade through the bullshit to find out what's right and what's wrong? They're getting they're getting it uh, from yeah, uh, but from they everywhere. don't. They don't. People that support Trump watch Fox News, and that's all they watch. Mm. And people that are on the left that support you know whoever on on the left, the Democrats or whatever, they're going to watch MSNBC or NBC or CNN, and and that's we're very tribal now. It's mm. very tribal. Uh, I never thought about it before uh, I started, you know, we, we got into this situation. I used to flip around all the time. I still flip around. I watch Fox. I look at Fox to see what the hell they're talking about. Uh, you know, I, I look at MSNBC. I look at, you know, every, you know, I, I look at, I like to look at the BBC, actually. And I look at Al Jazeera 
a lot because Al Jazeera has people that are looking at America and have a totally different viewpoint. Yeah, I like RT for that as well. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. That's that, the Russian yeah, television that's station. Right. Yeah, the Ruskies. <laughs> you know, yeah. but you got to. You just look at different different viewpoints and you always get something else from it. But in the States, it's very, very entrenched. If you're a Trump supporter, you're watching Fox and nothing but Fox. Mm. And, you know, that's that's scary. That's yeah. why we're lucky here to have national radio and, and yeah. public-funded broadcasting yeah. system oh, the, such the, as RNZ. So whatever, you know, don't wish to, to promote them too much here. But if you want that straight-down-the-middle independent yeah. or, you know, yeah. they, they try yeah. and be independent, that, that, that middle of the ground. Yeah then you can go there to get it. Well, it's much harder to fool uh, New Zealanders. Uh, when Glenn Greenwald was here, he's an American journalist, um, supports Edward Snowden. You know, I mean, he supports Julian Assange. He's one of these guys that's way out there, in a sense. Uh, he wanted to good, come over here, didn't good he? Good journalist. He came over here, and he hooked up with the fat guy, Kim.com and the Mana Party <laughs> and tried to influence when they were trying to, you know, yeah, get, yeah. get against John Key. And uh, it was very interesting to watch from, from my standpoint, knowing who Greenwald is. And he stayed here a long time, and he really did a lot of interviews and really tried to influence people. And people just said, no, nah, piss off. Mm. Who are you? Don't, don't t tell us who to vote what, for. What do you think of Kim.com? Should we send him home? You know, I don't know. Um, um, he's, a, he's a crook, mm. from my understanding, and the things I've read about him in Hong Kong and all the different things he's done. Uh, I don't necessarily trust big business in America either. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, picks between on on that one. I wouldn't automatically say. Gee, that was well played. <laughs> Gee, you played that well. Straight down the middle, on the field. Well, I, you know, I, you, know, you got to have, you know, you got to look at it. You know, Warner Brothers is are the ones that came after him because he was in, you know, in p p pilching. You know, their stuff. They're, they're but you know what, John? You know what you just did there? That's really important for, for everyone. It's okay not to have an opinion on something. If you're not sure, be happy to sit on the fence and say, hey, look, yeah. I, I don't quite know because I don't have enough information. Yeah. I'm not just going to run off on an opinion just for the sake of it or, or because I've heard it on the television or the radio. Yeah. When you know and, and perhaps you're a little bit more well-informed, of course you can form an opinion. Sure. If you sure. don't, yeah. don't go jumping to conclusions. One of the reasons I sit on the fence because everybody paints Kim.com as a bad guy. So if he's a bad guy, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, ship him out. And, yeah, I, you know, whether he's a bad, total bad guy or not, who knows. Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort. This is the big one. This is the big one. This, this could, um, the house of cards could come down this one. Paul Manafort was uh, Trump's uh, chairman of the campaign. Mm. So he was right in there. He was right in the thick of things. How many chairmans did he have? One of many. One of many. Mm. But he was the most important one because he's the one. Paul Manafort is a, is a longtime lobbyist in, in Washington, D.C. I mean, long, right. long time guy. And, and when you're a lobbyist, now this, you know, you can paint a brush. It's like a used car salesman. Mm. <laughs> Lobbyists got a dirty reputation because what do they do? They go around lobbying people, yeah, spreading money. Do? What do they do? Yeah. They, they spread money. They, you know, they. That's they, the game. They, that's the game. They, they want to, you know, if you if you lobby for the NRA, you go to Congress people and you say you got a you got a campaign coming up. We'll we'll give you a million bucks. I mean, you know, Mark Rubio from Florida got three million dollars from the NRA and he got it from a lobbyist. You know, mm. so he's not going to vote against gun regulations, is he? He's gonna he's gonna go with the status quo. But Paul Manafort's been that for a long time. And then he 
started doing uh, overseas stuff. He was a, um, a lobbyist for the Ukrainian government. Uh, and I forget the guy's name. It's Yekadaganovich, um, who was the president at the time of the Ukraine, was pro-Russian. And then when they kind of like got overthrown there, you know, that guy left for Moscow. And then Manafort was left without a job. And so he 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 hooked, he hooked on to the Trump campaign, and the reason he's important to the Trump campaign was he's smart enough that when you go to the convention, you got to get the delegates, you got to get enough delegates to be the nomination. Sometimes you know at those conventions, somebody like Ted Cruz was really mounting a, an opposition to try and upserve Trump and get the nomination, which can happen at those things. But Manafort was crafty enough to secure all the delegates for Trump, so he was a very important guy as mm, far as that okay. goes, and. And then uh, he's, you know, they, he was arrested. He's a convicted felon. He in Virginia, he just had a trial, and they convicted him of eight counts of bank and tax fraud. And he's always held out against Mueller, against the investigation. Always held out, said he wasn't going to flip, wasn't going to flip. But then with the eight counts, he's 69 years old. He's looking at 10 plus years there. Ooh. Then he had another trial coming up in Washington D.C. where the evidence was even more overwhelming. So he's looking at another 10 plus years there. Well, that's the rest of your life in jail. Ooh. So he's flipped. So he's flipped. He? Yeah, he's flipped. He's cooperating with Mueller now. So he was also at the infamous meeting in the Trump Tower in June of 2016 with Don Jr., Jared Kushner, and a whole posse of Russians. Mm. So he was there. And, you know, he's going he's gonna to tell Mueller everything that happened at that meeting. Whether, you know, who, we, who they called, who they talked about, what they talked about. He also, you know, I mean, this guy, now this guy's a bad guy. This guy. <laughs> This guy made like $60 million from Russian oligarchs. Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort. Mm. And he didn't declare it. That's what it, that's, you know, it's the old story. Follow the money. You know, the tax people got him. <laughs> you know, he cheated the U.S. government out of $15, 20000000 million in taxes. And, and that's how, how they nailed him. Mm. But he's got close ties to a lot of Russians that have close ties to Putin. And mm. like I say, follow the money. So this guy knows a shitload of stuff about Trump and about the money and about different things. And now he's flipped. So it'll be, you know, it'll be real interesting to. Yeah, but you keep saying, I remember last time we talked, you said Stormy Daniels just going to bring him down. And then now we've got Paul Manafort. The guy, he seems to be like Teflon John uh, Key. Well, we, you know, they can't stick anything on Donald. No, 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 no. See, that's the thing. You know, even after Manafort flipped and, and pleaded guilty, he pleaded guilty to all these charges. I mean, hmm. the prosecutor took a half an hour to read out all the charges against this guy. Wow. And he pleaded guilty to every one of them. So, I mean, you know, he's really entrenched. But we don't know what Mueller's got. Mueller hasn't delivered his report yet. Okay. So that's that's the key right there. And, you know, and the, the White House has come out and said, well, you know, that's what just, you know, drives you nuts. You know, they've come out and said, well, just because Manafort's pleaded guilty, it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It's all about tax fraud and money laundering. But he also worked for Trump in the campaign. So he knows mm. all of that. And when he's going he's gonna to give all that up. He's going to talk about that. You know, I mean, because now if Donald Jr. did something that was illegal, which he did, Manafort's going to, say, going to tell Mueller all about it. Mm. So, And I go back to my original statement that one of two things is going to happen. Trump is either going to have a military coup and barricade himself in the White House and not leave, or because Don Jr. will probably go to jail, and Jared Kushner with him, he'll resign. Wow. You hit it here first. 
on the weekend variety wireless on letter from America. Ladies and gentlemen, the fortune teller, Mr. John Dibbig. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Good stuff. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. You're listening to the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. How much electricity do heat pumps really use? Or when is hot water heated and are the lights kept on all day in winter? These kind of questions can now be answered thanks to the release of anonymised electricity power demand data from a sample of 45 New Zealand households. Now, we are going to speak with Otago University Research Centre co-director Dr Michael Jack about the Green Grid project. Hi Michael, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, very good. Thanks for coming on. What is the Green Grid or, or Smart Grid project and what are you trying to achieve here with this research? Right, so the Green Grid project is a, um, a government-funded research project that's been going for around six years now, and it's to look at um, what the future of New Zealand's electricity grid might look like, given, um, I guess, the, the transition we want to make to greater renewables. Our work in the project was very much focused on the demand side, so looking at um, how electricity is used by consumers. When you came to undertaking your research, you looked at a a sample of 45 New Zealand households. How did you go about measuring the power consumption in each house? Right, so we we kitted these houses up with, with some special monitoring Actually, it's a New Zealand company called GridSpy. Um, they they have a um, uh, some some software and hardware that uh, enables you to connect up the circuits of your house and for those to be monitored and then um, uh, all the data to be um, uploaded online uh, so that we could then analyse it. Um, as part of that, we did a lot of um, we did sort of audits of the house as well, so looking at what appliances were actually in the house hmm. and connected to each circuit. And I guess that that gave you the opportunity to look at at what say the heat pump or or, or different areas of the house, such as the kitchen or the the heating, what they were doing. What did you find out? Yeah, so it's it's very interesting. Um, so the I guess the sample of houses were. Um, we don't claim they're New Zealand representative because there are only, there's only 45 of them and, and they were selected in, in not a very sort of um, random way. Uh, there was a self-selection um, process that went on, actually. Um, but even from that sample, you can see very interesting, um, uh, I guess, differences between the households. So the differences between when... Um, electricity is used in the, across the different households when they're using um, their appliances um, and, and how that kind of varies throughout the day. Um, and I guess it's, it's quite striking how, um, how variable um, household demand actually is. Um, mm. So very, very peaky in some times of the day and um, extremely low at other times. And is, is this the issue that, uh, that we have in New Zealand, that when we're getting these very peaky times, as you say, that it's going to put an increased demand on the grid and, yeah. that, and that can be a concern with the, with the capability of the grid being able to cope with this? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, 
So the the point is there's variability between houses, but there are some things that actually, um, even when you average over all the houses, they stay um, very similar. So um, one of those is the the kind of morning and evening peaks. Mm. Um, so just the the way in which our society works mean that we often you know get up in the morning and then leave home um, a lot of us and that gives rise to this morning peak where we we do everything we do in the morning have showers etc um, then we uh, tend to come home uh, in the evening after work or after school um, and do things associated with cooking turning on the lights and and there's another peak in the evening and the issue is that um, those those peaks translate throughout the network, and both the the lines and the generation capacity has to be built so that it meets those peaks. Mm. And if, if it's not utilised very often, if it's just utilised to meet those peaks, then it ends up being very expensive electricity. Mm. Yeah. I guess it's like it's a bit like building a motorway with eight lanes in Auckland, just so it can cope with what is a, a peak time in the morning. But it's completely empty for you know for the rest of the day in the middle of the night. That's I guess it's exactly the same, exactly the same. So it's about infrastructure efficiency, um, in a way. And so the the issue then, uh, so so that's one issue. But the things become more complicated and more important as you move to a more renewable generation base. Mm. Um, so because if, you, if you're moving to um, wind and solar, which are both things that are very intermittent, they're not, they're not under your control. They kind of are there when they are there and not when they aren't. And you have no control over that. And if you add that into the mix, so you've got this fluctuating demand and then you've got this fluctuating supply as well, then the you know the ability to bridge that gap becomes very very important, and to shift demand to when you actually have the supply. Mm. How how important is energy storage in all this, so that we've got the storage capability in between, I guess, the source and the user, uh, to, to be able to you know just stagnate that demand a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's critical. Um, so in New Zealand we have um, this. Um, a, a great advantage um, at the moment in that we've got enough hydro to to be able to meet those peaks. So the hydro um, basically fluctuates with our electricity demand. It's the thing that, that provides that storage um, to, to kind of um, meet those that fluctuating demand because people just, uh, basically the operators um, let the water go when they need more um, when they want, need more electricity, and then hold it back when they when they don't, mm. and so that hydro is a great resource. But we're kind of reaching the limits of our of our hydro's capacity to be able to do that. And as we move to a, a situation where we might be using more electricity, say for transport or for heating, which is is some of the things the government has signalled, um, would be you know would be really advantageous for reducing carbon emissions, for example then we're going to want more renewable um, electricity generation as well. And, and the hydro is not going to be able to keep up. So storage becomes really important. And the storage can be hydro. It can be things like batteries. But it can also be um, stored as heat. So um, stored in people's hot water 
cylinders, for example, where they're, they're utilizing electricity when, um, when the, the um, solar is generating or wind is blowing. You, you heat up your hot water cylinder and the, the energy is stored there for you to use it at a later time. Mm. And people are also talking about um, doing this with space heating as well, so things like heat pumps. Do, do, do the power companies actually turn off our hot water cylinder heating in the middle of the night? Is, can they do that? Yeah, so, so definitely. So that's a lot of what, um, well, some lines companies do that quite a lot to, in order to already kind of smooth their loads. So um, they turn it off during these peak times mm. um, in order to, uh, if you're on a controlled rate, they turn, they turn off your hot water cylinder in order to, um, when, when their lines basically get congested. Um, so they're doing exactly this this type of thing we're talking about. I guess the point is that in the future we see this as being something that could be a lot smarter than it is at the moment. Uh, ripple control, which is what's currently used to control hot water cylinder, is, is quite an old technology. Mm. And with newer technologies, more sort of internet-connected devices, um, we could be a lot smarter with, with controlling and, and sort of... Um, getting that flexibility uh, in, into demand. Do you think that technology can fix this alone to, to stop, I guess, the, the really expensive upgrades to, to our infrastructure, or will it require some consumer behaviour changes? For example, electric vehicles. The government has created a, a target. The previous government actually created it 64,000, I think, off the top of my head, electric vehicles in New Zealand by such and such a year in, I think, four to five years' time, 2022. I'm, I'm just thinking of, off the top of my head. When you add more electric vehicles to the grid and you get everyone coming home from work at those peak times, five, six o'clock in the evening, and plugging their vehicles back in, is there going to, to be some consumer behaviour change required or can we just get over this with technology alone? No, that's, that's a really good point. And um, the, the, the great thing about the Green Grid project that we've been involved in, uh, in is that it's very interdisciplinary. So I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a physicist by training, so I, I'm, I'm very um, kind of the, the technical and the technology side is, is what I focus on. But mm. um, I work with um, social scientists as well who, who are always um, bringing me back to say, but what about, you know, what about the people and the behavior? So, so that's really a great part of it. Um, and, and definitely, I mean, that, that is one of the key parts of all this. Um, can, you know, can we change people's behaviour and can we, uh, are, what are people willing to do? You know, what are they willing to give up? Are they willing to um, give up a, a um, you know, have, have a cold shower um, in order to reduce their electricity bill, for example? Um, what, what, you know, what are people um, willing to, are they willing to kind of give up some of the convenience of, of charging their car when they want to um, in order to, uh, reduce costs or perhaps save on um, on greenhouse gases. Mm. Um, the, the consumer side is 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 um, a real critical part of that. I guess at the moment there's not a lot of choice. You don't have a lot of um, ability to to decide when you're going to use your electricity. There's no sort of monetary incentive um, out there for most people to to change what they're doing. 
but hopefully, well, I guess the way we see the transition happening is that that sort of thing would have to be in place. Mm. We'd have to have um, market changes where 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 you had um, retailers offering you a, a, a kind of a, a rate where they would where they would actually give you much cheaper electricity at certain times of the day than other others, and then you would respond to that either yourself or through um, some sort of um, home management system, which you would set up. Um, I guess with your preferences, which say I'd, I'd want to reduce um, in, uh, my costs or I want to save on greenhouse gases, and then it would do it for you. It would automatically take care of, of, of things for you in the background. That's really interesting because the government released a report uh, or uh, just just this week, actually, in regards to uh, the how electricity prices are, I guess, different across different areas of or sectors uh, of the electricity market, particularly the gap between our household power prices and, and those large corporates that get them for cheap. But just taking up on that point, smart meters, is New Zealand, have we got a lot of smart meters out there? How far through, I assume we're going to all need smart meters to be able to, uh, I guess, for them to be able to gauge when we use electricity at, at what particular time. So there's that live feed and that ability to charge uh, uh, the consumer in those actual time periods you're talking about, for example, six to eight o'clock in the evening or, or five to seven being a little bit more expensive. Have we got enough smart meters out there to actually make a difference? Yeah, so so we've got we've we've actually achieved quite a high implementation of smart meters in New Zealand, a lot higher than many other countries. Um, so I think the figure, if I can recall, was around eighty percent, and that was that must have been about six months ago um, when I heard that number. So so pretty high um, uh, implementation of smart meters, and um, yeah, you're exactly right. It's the first step in in um, I, I guess in, in, in kind of thinking about how you might um, charge people at different times, um, we, we first of all need to actually know when people are using electricity, and this this kind of comes back to the, our data release. So, so although there are these smart meters um, um, implemented, the data that's um, collected from those meters is not available to uh, everyone who wants to analyze it and and come up with their uh, you know what might be the best options. Um, it's quite. Uh, it's it's held by the retailers in New Zealand, and um, it's not for for a number of reasons. It's not shared. So one of those is privacy. Mm. Um, so we've collected this this more detailed um, uh, data, which is, is is goes beyond smart meter data, and that it it goes down to um, one minute level, but it also um, measures the circuits within the home, so you can actually identify appliances, mm. um, which gives you that much more kind of fine-grained uh, information about what's going on. I'd absolutely, um, I'd love that because I felt <laughs> I felt ripped off the other day. We don't have a smart meter. We live in a house that's two years old, yet it, there was no smart meter installed. And our power company said, "We'll give you a free day of power. Nominate your day." So we nominated our day, and you know what we did? We did loads of washing. We vacuumed. We used the dryer. We apps. We sat there with the heat pump on. We put all the lights on. We had a great time. And then at the end of the month. They just said, oh, this is your use over the month. We averaged it out that a day's worth of electricity was this much. 
so we'll, we'll give you that as a discount. And we felt awfully ripped off that we didn't actually get the discount of how much power we'd slathered that day. Right. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't have gone and slathered the power. That's probably uh, increased our bill in the, in the long run. So, you know, a personal story there, but, uh, but just shows you the pitfalls not having a smart meter. I, I just want to touch on, um, on the, the roof panels in New Zealand. Are they called photovoltaic panels? Is that what we call Photovoltaic, yes. Volta- or, or PV for short, and solar is, PV. And that's, and that's the solar panels. Yes. Is, is, there, is New Zealand's location, um, being as far south as we are, obviously in the winter we use more electricity, but is there enough sunshine down here to make a difference? Is there a prediction that as the technology grows with solar panels and it becomes better and more efficient, that this will help or ease the load off the grid, or, or are we just not in a good enough position and the technology not good enough? Yeah, so so it's it's actually a, a reasonably controversial area. So um, in New Zealand, we don't have any subsidies for solar PV, unlike um, many other countries do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there has been this increase in in people um, uh purchasing solar, rooftop solar PV anyway. So it's kind of growing in New Zealand um, on its own, uh, but I, I guess it's a lot slower than it could be. Um, and there's, I guess there's, there's debate about the benefits of solar for New Zealand. And the, the, this comes around to um, these ideas of, of peak and um, when when New Zealand's peaks are, and um, and also what happens in a dry year. So it's all this this kind of time variability of of electricity use that that becomes really important. And um, so so okay. So one thing about solar that's interesting is mm. if you if you had storage, and so this is what I'm talking about with renewables. If you have storage in your home, then you can store that electricity during the middle of the day when you're generating, for use at the times of day when you use it. Right. Mm. So either if you um, store it in a battery, or you shift your demand so that some of your demand moves to that middle of the day, and you could do this with your hot water cylinder, for example, mm. then you can utilise more of the ele- electricity that you're generating. And that make that makes the economics of PV so much better. Mm. Um, so to me, it's it's kind of a microscopic example of of what what I'm talking about. There's this variable renewable, and but it's generating at the wrong time of day, and you you want to be able to change your demand so that you can utilize more of it um, yourself. And and maybe in the future as electric vehicles become smarter if you were charging it in the middle of the day at where you were parking it at work for example you could come home and potentially use that as a source of electricity for that evening peak and and actually suck some power out of your battery in your car if it was if the technology enabled you to do that and then recharge it overnight when the demand was less yeah, yeah. So people were talking about um, this thing called vehicle to grid, which is exactly what you're talking about there. So the benefits of batteries, um, standalone batteries, extend to um, batteries in a vehicle. So if you could connect your vehicle to the grid while it was while it was charging, um, then you could either charge or discharge as as the 
I guess the, the demand for electricity varies over the day, um, and both for yourself, but also to benefit the grid as a whole. Mm. Um, sometimes there are, is congest, are congestion periods on the grid, and um, the, the the kind of distributed generation like that, where you're where you're generating close to the load, um, could be very beneficial for the for the um, the grid because there will be a congestion um, point upstream somewhere, and by generating um, at, at the end uh, point like that, then you you basically lower the demand that's mm. coming through the grid. So, yeah, so that so that is one definitely one thing that people are talking about, um, electric vehicles possibly being used in that way. So just to sum up here and give a very small example, what the, some of the research you're doing where you're separating different circuits out and measuring each of those circuits, if we're smart, one solution may be that if I, if I drive home to my electric vehicle and I plug that in and I could potentially feed that power through the right circuit to, to, to power up my heat pump, which is something I'm going to be turning on when I get home. That could be possible in the next few years. Yeah, or, or your neighbour. Um, so, so one of the interesting business models that I've seen is, is people thinking about um, purchasing the, the solar that their neighbour is generating. So the, the neighbour may not be utilising all of their um, the PV they're generating, but you might have a demand at that particular time of day. And so you could use your neighbour's solar, and I guess there would be a, an agreement between you in terms of remuneration, um, but, <laughs> but that sort of um, accounting for the electricity that you're using when they're generating um, would enable you to essentially use utilise their... Um, their their um, their generated electricity and and the lines um, you know the, you wouldn't need to use the external lines for that particular piece of electricity. This is a really interesting piece of research, and I know we're only part way through. When will all this culminate in an official report, or when does it come to an end? So our our program um, our part of the program comes to an end at the end of September. Actually, mm -hmm. um, we we think there's um, there's a lot more research that can be done in this area, so we're um, in the process of applying for additional funding. Um, we, we believe this, this, this area of um, what we call demand flexibility is, is going to be really important for enabling renewables, um, so we plan to continue to do research in that area. That's Dr Michael Jack from the University of Otago speaking on the Green Grid Project. This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. It's Sunday night and nearly 11 o'clock and after the top of the hour we tell a shipwreck tale. Paul Gasly to narrate on the story of Dundonald. Stick around, that's after 11 here on the Weekend Variety Wireless.